Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The SENZ app. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on behalf of Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We're so proud to be associated with them. They are the experts in agriculture, doing great things, particularly here on the East Coast and helping people recover, providing vehicles and machinery and knowledge as well. So uh, support Brant if you get the opportunity because they are supporting us. Uh, we're going to talk to Michael Goldstein very shortly. Michael is a golf pundit. Rally drivers might uh, also know Michael Goldstein. He's heavily involved too with the, the New Zealand Rally. Um, but golf is a hat we've got on him this morning, so uh, we're going to talk about New Zealand Open. Uh, then we're going to talk to David Turner. Now, David Turner is a motorsports uh, commentator, um, and all the shamozzle and uh, all the, uh, the events that happened yesterday in IndyCar, uh, we're going to get to the bottom of that because New Zealanders were heavily, heavily involved in it. So uh, we'll talk to David Turner about that. Uh, Scott Newman after 10 o'clock. Now, Scott Newman is the Athletics New Zealand High Performance Director which is cool, uh, and we've just had our national championships where there was some standout performances. We've got to highlight those, so we'll talk to Scott. Uh, we'll have uh, a stump a little bit earlier this morning at 10.29, uh, I think around about that time anyway, uh, leading into the news or just after, because uh, 11 o'clock uh, we shall be talking to Leanne Walker, Tall Ferns great. Remember Leanne, of course, uh, done wonderful things uh, on the basketball court, and now she's got two daughters, uh, in particular Leanne, uh, his daughter, Charlize Ledger-Walker, yesterday helped guide Washington State to its first Pac-12 tournament win. What does that mean? We'll find out just after 11 o'clock. And uh, at 11.30 this morning, Ag Insights with Araha Hathaway. Araha Hathaway, newsreader. Well, uh, she was uh, going to talk about uh, what's going on in the agricultural sector for uh, about 10 minutes. And then we'll hand over to Staffy uh, just prior to 12 o'clock this morning. Good show, looking forward to it. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, what a dopey pack of lunatics and losers pitch invaders really are. I mean, what fuels them? What motivates them? Alcohol fuels them. Maybe drugs. Incentives from colleagues motivates them. You know, the old dare here and there. And the fact that they will never be deservedly on the big stage in life. So they'll probably throw jealousy in there as well. Petulant, pathetic show-offs, clearly deprived. Most of them too young to remember Gunter Pasch. Who you say, Gunter Pasch? Well, 30 years ago next month, he was the maniac who jumped the barriers and stabbed Monica Seles, effectively ruining her career. Well, how about 21 years ago, Pete van Ziel, invading the pitch and attacking referee David McHugh in Durban, only to be subdued by Richie McCaw. I've never been a huge fan of security at sport, hordes of them positioned strategically around the grounds. The need for them casts a blight on the image of the event. But on the evidence of the multiple invasions at Sky Stadium on Friday night, you have to have them for player safety, for official safety, for their own damn safety. 
Back in the early 80s in Australia, pitch invaders were arrested, thrown in the back of divvy vans and cooked for the remainder of the day before being taken to cells overnight, handed $5,000 fines and banned from the ground. Now that was 40 years ago, so here's the thing you clowns, it's not a new fad. You're not achieving anything special except putting people in danger and at the very least holding up the event the vast, vast majority have come and paid to see. God knows there's enough interruptions as it is in sport, isn't there? Get over it. It's just fun. No one gets hurt, I hear you say. Petty crime, well we know all we're petty crime heads to these days, don't we? Just gets bigger. Stay at home, run naked round your backyard if that thrills you. But don't go to the game for everyone's sake. Please, stay at home. Well, golf fans were absolutely spoiled for choice over the weekend with both the New Zealand opening happening at the Millbrook Resort plus the leaderboard of the Arnold Palmer Invitational featuring a who's who of PGA's best alongside our own, very own, Ryan Fox, who was brilliant. Things really are turning up a notch with the Masters only a month away and it's the Players' Championship, the fifth major, this weekend. Joining me, a man who loves his golf uh, pretty much as much as I do, maybe even a wee bit more, is uh, Michael Goldstein. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning. Morning, Smitty. Yeah, great to talk to you, Michael. Uh, look, uh, especially um, look, looking back at the Open, first of all, uh, how did the fans respond to it? Free entry? Was it great levels of support? Yeah, it was, look, I've been involved in that tournament for uh, 10 iterations, and it's as many people as I've seen out there. Um, it was it was brilliant on Sunday afternoon watching the fans come out and get behind um, all the players, but in particular get behind the Kiwis. And you know, with with Ben Campbell, who's you know lived down here and um, you know, plays his golf out in Millbrook, um, it was actually quite electric. The um, fans following him, particularly on the back nine when he he made eagle on ten and then a few birdies coming in to really kind of he took the lead, and um, there was really cool atmosphere. So over the two courses, first time they've been able to play on uh, two fully-fledged courses in terms of the Remarkables and the Coronet 18. Over the, the course of the event, was one favoured more than the other in terms of scoring? Um, it's quite tricky to, to know, Smithy, in, that, um, like in the afternoon the wind got up a little bit and that impacted um, things somewhat. But because of the nature of the Pro-Am format, the professionals only play one round on the Remarkables course. So Thursday, Friday, they play one round on each, and then all the weekends based on um, the Coronet course. So um, the scoring is probably a couple of shots easier on the Coronet, um, and it's also mm. an easier walk. So everybody gets off the uh, 18th, not quite as buggered. But um, the Coronet was up on display for the first time, right? And um, there's some really cool holes out there. And um, I think that produced some exciting golf. Well, Stephen Elka was uh, one of the big draw cards. Wasn't quite to be in terms of him winning the title. But what about the following for Stephen Elka? How popular has he become in this country? Oh, I think everybody's just so proud of him. You know, like certainly in, our, in the circles, you know, have been around the game for a long time. You know, he's been so committed to his career and to golf, you know, for decades, right? And he's He's kept working, he's kept fit, 
Um, he's kept competing. You know, he bounced between the what was the web.com and the PGA Tour multiple times. He's come out and supported the New Zealand Open for years and years and years. And to see what he's achieved on the on the Champions Tour, it's, it's just unreal, right? And I think everybody's just thrilled for him. Um, he came down again to support the tournament, which, you know, he didn't need to do. He's, he's doing extremely well in the US, but he came down. He's the same bloke he's always been, and, um, you know, everybody's so happy for him. I think uh, just by the by, a lot of people would be quite happy for the fact that uh, Brendan Jones won it. Okay, not a Kiwi, a uh, 48-year-old Australian, but been a great supporter of the event over a long, long period of time. So there's a there's quite a romantic story about uh, his victory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, like for Michael Grading and John Hart and, and myself, um, Brendan was one of the first guys to support this tournament when it became a pro-am back in 2012. And we've had this connection with the Japan Tour for a number of years, and and Brendan because he's he's been so successful on that on that tour, he's he's one of the greats on the Japan Golf Tour, and he's really been one of the conduits between the New Zealand Open and the Japan Tour, and we've attracted you know huge numbers of great Japanese professionals, but also Japanese businesses, and Brendan's been part of essentially part of this this event for for ten years. Um, when he comes down. You know, he's a great time. He hasn't always played that well. He's um, sometimes he gets a bit um, waylaid by um, Justin Marshall, um, but you know he just loves it. He loves Queenstown um, and he loves the tournament. And all week we were saying, you know, if the Kiwi can't win, I'd love to see Brendan Jones win. And I watched a lot of his golf on um, on Sunday in particular, mm-hmm. and he hit some of the most. He, he said afterwards in, in the media that his three went into 14, and then he nearly holed it on the next hole for a, on, on the par three fifteenth. He said they were two of the best shots of his life, and he just played phenomenal golf and deserved to win. And the crowd and, and everybody uh, was absolutely stoked for him. It is. It's a really good story, and the fact that Marshall wasn't playing probably helped him, I would imagine. Right, <laughs> let's uh, look at... Let's look at some of the Kiwis because five Kiwis in the top 12 is a very creditable performance and I think it illustrates the depth of our golf coming through professional and amateur. Ben Campbell, uh, as you said, right up there, finishing second, um, equal at 15 under. And then this great story of this young uh, amateur, Kazuma Kabori, uh, just four back. Great story. Great story, absolutely. Like, Kazuma's 21, he's, he's won the New Zealand PGA Championship against the field not too dissimilar to what we saw over the weekend. Um, he won that at, at Pegasus a few years ago as a 17-year-old. And then just recently, he won the Australian Amateur, which you know, is a bloody hard tournament to win. So he's proven that he can win. Um, and he was right in the fight throughout the whole four days uh, over the New Zealand Open. Um, he won the Bledisloe Cup, which is presented to the low amateur. But certainly for a while on the back nine, it looked like you know a couple of putts dropping, he might be in. And with and with the um, big trophy, um, so yeah, Kazuma is really exciting. Um, but you know, watching the back nine, and I was out there uh, in the golf cart with a couple of people. We watched, as you say, five Kiwis that could have won this tournament on the back nine on Sunday, which is so exciting. Um, you know, we've only had one Kiwi win since 2004, which was Mike Hendry in 2017. So 
um, it's always a long time between drinks, but it looked like, you know, Dan Hillier, Ben Campbell, Mike Hendry, Kazuma, um, they could all win this, this thing. And um, it didn't fall our way, but they certainly um, did our country proud. Two Hilliers in the event, uh, Daniel Hillier, who we spoke to last week, and, and what a future he has uh, on the DP tour. Um, he yep. showed some uh, pretty good form. But, and Harry Hillier, tell us about this 63. 63 on the in the last round. Well, I, I didn't see much for and not many people did because he was out so early, and just you know nobody else got anywhere near eight under on on the Sunday. So he played some spectacular golf. Um, I, I actually don't know too much about Harry Hillier apart from that he's been at college in I think Kansas, um, mm. and clearly he's got an exciting future. So um, you know, just another one to add to the list. Um, you know, Dan Hillier was in one of the last groups and also had a huge crowd around him. Um, you guys talked to him. He's a great kid, great kid, and it's so exciting what he's doing out on the uh, European tour. Um, and uh, there was certainly a lot of support for him during the week as well. I think um, we'll probably talk about Ryan in a bit, but I think yeah. that Ryan's been helping Dan out on tour and um, I think just like really forging the way for would like Dan to see that success is only a couple of steps away, and I think everybody at the tournament was filled with a bit of excitement about, you know, not only Ryan's next few months, but also what's ahead of Dan. Michael, here's uh, an interesting point because a, a lot of players uh, who were names that we didn't weren't familiar with have uh, been and played in this uh, Open as a stepping stone. Obviously, uh, Cameron Smith, Tom Kim, and a fella by the name of Kurt Kitayama who, uh, uh, ironically, turned up Trump's yesterday morning. Yeah. yeah. New Zealand Open, the world of golf, there's so much money involved, and you know, they're paying for 30 million plus New Zealand dollars every week. Um, the New Zealand Open understands where it fits in, in the world of golf and the pathway um, of professional golf. And it's unashamedly comfortable in that, in that position. But what it does do is it is part of the stepping stone to the PGA Tour and um, or, or to the European Tour. And um, we've seen that in, in recent years. You know, you mentioned Cam Smith. He, he was fourth in the tournament in 2015. Um, before COVID, you know, we played the, the week before COVID hit in 2020. And the leaderboard was, um, you know, it had Tom Kim, it had Lucas Herbert. They both won on the PGA Tour within the next, 18 months, I think. Um, you know, we've seen those players come through, and Kurt Kitayama's the latest. You know, he played on um, the Web.com tour, now Corn Ferry tour, for a couple of years without success. Um, and then he came over to Asia and played. And the New Zealand Open got a co-sanction with the Asian tour. And I think it was 2018 or 19, um, Kurt Kitayama also got fourth. And um, that was kind of the first ever decent result he'd had in a, in a professional golf tournament and from there we've seen his career grow and grow and grow and, and yesterday he, he got over the line against the big boys on the at, at, um, at Bay Hill so you know I think that's great for the tournament but it's also really exciting to see where these where these guys can get to Well he held his nerve uh, beautifully on the last hole under all sorts of pressure with uh, Rory McIlroy and uh, Harris English just sitting at the back of the 18th waiting for him to make a mistake well he, he handled it beautifully and that 
the putt that he nearly made for birdie was sensational. And a little earlier in the event, um, on the day, Ryan Fox uh, carted very, very handy uh, 67 to finish 14th. Uh, you know, and, and a, a tournament of that prestige leads well for him with what he's got coming up in the next month, not to mention the matter of about 350,000 US in his bank account too. Yeah, it's not not bad, is it, for a week's work? But he's got, you know, you look at Ryan's schedule moving forward, I think he posted something the other day, and um, I haven't checked it this morning, but pretty sure that he's playing the world match play in Austin. Um, he's, I think he's playing the Valero, and then he's obviously playing the Masters for the first time, um, and then he's going to play Hilton Head. Uh, if you move forward, he's got into the PGA Championship and the US Open, so he'll certainly stay in the US you know, through another couple of months. And I wouldn't be surprised if he also plays, you know, Jack's tournament at the Memorial um, and one or two other PGA Tour events. Um, when he leaves America um, in probably late June, he's going to play the Scottish Open, which is now also part of the PGA Tour. And then he'll finish this, this amazing run by playing the Open at, at um, Hoylake in Liverpool. So, you know, if you're Ryan Fox right now, you've, you know, you're kind of pinching yourself about just this schedule of golf you've got ahead of you and um, I think it's fantastic that he started with what's really a great result you know like he's playing a number of these places he's playing for the first time and you know it's just like Dan on the on the DP World Tour I think they acknowledge that first time round you know they're learning the course they're playing against guys who've you know played the course in tournament conditions you know 10 plus times so kind of starting a little bit behind the eight ball and to be able to compete like that against the best players in the world on a golf course with grasses that you're not familiar with, um, I think it shows that Ryan has really made that next step up in his career and he's ready to compete with them. So, you know, I think it'll be really exciting over the next few few weeks and months how he goes in some of these other tournaments, um, most notably like the Masters, right? Like it's been, it's been a long time since we've had uh, Kiwis play in the Masters um, I think Danny Danny Lee played once or twice there, um, but there's like everybody at the New Zealand Open over the last week is fizzing to see how Ryan will go at, at Augusta National in a couple of weeks. Michael, so that leads to a question which uh, a lot of people are asking in terms of uh, Ryan Fox. Uh, I noticed that he didn't get any FedEx points because he's not as a, uh, a registered member of the PGA Tour as such, but. How, how could he become one and would he want to become one if he gets success over the next five or six weeks? Yeah, well, I, I think so the second part of that is pretty straightforward. And, and yes, um, I think Ryan, like all golfers, wants to play against the best players in the world. Um, how does he get in? I think you probably need to check with somebody like Phil Tartarangi on the exact details. But my understanding is that if he wins, um, the equivalent FedEx Cup points is up. Uh, within the 125, then he can get his card for for the future. I think he's limited by the number of sponsor invites he can take um, this mm-hmm. year. Um, but because he's getting into the World Golf Championship event at Austin and the major championships, that um, and, and the Scottish Open, which is a co-extension between the European Tour and the PGA Tour, he's already starting with six tournaments before he takes any sponsor invites. Um, and, and he obviously in the first one, in Arnold Palmer, he's made tied four things. So um, I'd say that's his goal, um, but I haven't heard from the horse's mouth, so to speak. 
Rightio, well, um, interesting, uh, Danny Lee has uh, signed, we all know that now. He's playing against uh, some of the players who used to be highly regarded in the world as such. But his uh, looks like it's going to be a quite an abbreviated stay on for Live Golf. What next for Danny? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, if, if he does only have a three-event deal, then he's going to be in, in limbo because he's banned from playing on the PGA Tour now for, for two years, um, pending litigation, which is ongoing. Um, so if that is the case, he's really left with playing golf on um, the Asian Tour, which you know, has 10, 15 tournaments of a of million US dollars, kind of the level of the New Zealand Open at the weekend. Um, but he's certainly giving away huge numbers of playing opportunities to take this live opportunity. Um, you know, maybe it's a side of where his body's at. Um, I'm not too sure. Or maybe he's backing himself to do really well in, in, the, in the live starts that he gets. Um, but it's certainly a curious one as to why... Uh, he would go to live for me um, because he's, it's not securing his, his future. Interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. Uh, um, we'll follow. Yeah, we'll, we, I, I got no obvious money um, and maybe he was just coming. His desire is waning a wee bit and it's a family man now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's difficult to know with, with live and obviously, you know, going down this track, we're opening a huge can of worms about about the state of professional golf and the disruptor league. Um, but, yeah, I find it really interesting that he's gone. Um, I suspect that in the live offices, they might be quite keen to have another flag on on mm. their leaderboard. Um, yep. But I, I also think that if they really wanted another flag on their leaderboard, then, you know, they might have gone with somebody who's really popular in New Zealand, like a, like a Ben Campbell, um, who, you know, would have been a career-changing move for somebody like him. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't really make full sense to me, if I'm being honest, Smitty. Um, I can understand why some of the other guys have gone to lips, um, but Danny, you know, he was playing decent golf on the PGA Tour, and um, there's no shortage of cash over there either. No, there isn't these days. Hey, Michael, what a uh, great uh, insight you, you've given us uh, across the board there. Thanks for your time this morning, and uh, we'll catch up shortly. It's been uh, fine chatting with you. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers. Yeah, appreciate it too, Michael. Uh, Michael Goldstein there with us. Look back on the Open, uh, of course, the Arnold Palmer, Palmer Invitational, and what's ahead for Ryan Fox. It's juicy stuff. Uh, 9.25 here on SENZ. <laughs> Like we have never seen him drive to win the Indianapolis 500 last May. And now Marcus Ericsson in the Husky Chocolate Honda is a winner again, but this time on the streets of St. Petersburg. Delivers Chip Ganassi the first victory of a new season in the most eventful race. Good job. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was the sound of Sweden's Marcus Eriksson passing the chequered flag in first place at IndyCar's opening Grand Prix of the season in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, uh, a race won by Scott McLaughlin last year. McLaughlin unfortunately finished 13th following an incident on the 72nd lap. Meanwhile, Scott Dixon scrapped his way to third place and the Kiwi rookie Marcus Armstrong had a solid showing on debut. 
So then, on the line now, we have uh, motorsport uh, commentator David Turner. And David, uh, I think the most important thing to, to look at here from the outset is we heard yesterday how remorseful Scott McLaughlin was yesterday after he knocked out uh, Ramon Grosjean on lap 72, saying that's not how he races, but he also doesn't regret going for the win. What's the reaction been like uh, in the IndyCar media setup a day after that? Yeah, well, good morning, Smith. Nice to chat with you again. Um, look, I, I think that people will probably slide, side a little bit with McLaughlin after that, just purely because of the fact that, you know, there's a genuine sign of the fact that the guy's real and he made a mistake, and it's it's just that simple, you know. But equally, you're within 30 laps of the race finish and you're racing for a win, you've got to go for it as well. That's what you get paid for. So it's a bit of a catch-22. Grosjean, maybe he could have backed out. Maybe McLaughlin could have backed out, but you don't. They're born to race those guys. That's what they do. Um, and, and the situation happened, and I think um, McLaughlin's moved to go and see Grosjean after the race in the team's transporter, and they chatted for a while and that sort of thing. That's the mark of a true sportsman as well. No matter what sport you play in, I think that, that really sows that you're, you're genuine about what you do. And, um, you know, big tick for him. The unfortunate bit, of course, is that that's points lost in the championship as well. And uh, this championship is made up of consistency. Willpower proved that last year. You've got to score points or as many points as you possibly can all the time. Is there a danger, um, you know, if it, if it happened again, um, you know, you'd start to get a reputation for it, which is something you want to avoid, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, Grosjean himself has got a bit of a reputation from his Formula One days, and I'm not siding one way or the other on that because I think he probably drove fairly average machinery when he was there as well. Um, but, you know, some drivers are, are naturally aggressive um, and some aren't. You know, I um, I did a, a thing for 60 Minutes New Zealand for, for Sky a few years ago, and we interviewed Alex Tagliani, who was a teammate of Dixon's at the time. And, um, you know, Alex always said, when you come up behind the number nine car, you know it's not going to be easy. It'll be clean, but it won't it won't be easy to pass them. And I think, you know, if you have those sort of reputations, they're good. But, yeah, if you get a bit of the crash and bash, it, it does tend to haunt you. And there's a few drivers that probably are tagged that way. But McLaughlin is certainly not one of them. Well, Scott McLaughlin finished fourth in the Drivers' Championship last year, which was an amazing result, considering he's still relatively new and driving some of these circuits for the first time. Um, what about this year? What, where do you think his, his goals will be this year? I think right now the biggest situation that they've got uh, and that he'll have is that he'll be very hard on himself after yesterday. Uh, he's the type of person that does that. He's done that before and he, he takes it, not to heart, but he takes it very seriously. So he'll be very hard on himself over that. He'll know that there was points on the table that he didn't get uh, and, you know, like any athlete, it's, it's the mind game. So he's got to snap out of that, get on with the job when they get to Texas in, you know, a few weeks' time, which is the first oval of the year. So completely different circumstance. He nearly won that race last year, um, only to be beaten by his teammate Joseph Ugarden on the closing lap. So um, I think the big thing, Ian, is that it's just it's a head game um, and he's got to get around that and then just get on with the job in hand. He's more than capable. We showed that last year. And um, and this year, in some ways, the pressure's on him a bit more than maybe it needs to be because of how well he did last year. But he's he's been in this situation with supercar before, so there's absolutely no reason why he can't cope with it as well. It's just uh, he's got the machinery, great team at Team Penske. It's just it, it just comes down to mind space as an athlete and getting on with the job. And I'm sure he can do that.
Well, Scott Dixon was also involved in some chaos at St. Petersburg yesterday. Um, but how, how did he manage to avoid that uh, opening lap uh, pile-up where, where six cars were involved? Well, there's been a bit of mixed message on media, mainly in this country, actually, um, uh, about Dixie's thing yesterday. And, you know, him and Felix Rosenquist uh, bang wheels a bit. Scott admitted that um, he actually didn't see Felix there and uh, said that in the post-race thing and, you know, was a bit apologetic to uh, Felix as well. Opening lap at St. Petersburg is always tough. That backside of the circuit after they come off the runway is very, very narrow. It's only 23 feet wide, so it's not... Um, you know, there's not a lot of room to play with. And these guys know this. So the first thing is, as drivers, you know that opening lap or opening two laps is going to be that way inclined. So, you know, switch the brain into gear as well. But I think it was an aggressive move maybe by Dixon. But what I disagree with the media here um, is the fact that they've said that he then caused the multi-car pilot. Sure, it made Rosenquist check up. Rosenquist actually tapped the wall, slowed up, and cars did back up behind him, which ultimately resulted in that accident. But I can't, you can't blame Dixon for all of that as well. That was, uh, that was you know, garbage that was going on behind him. And uh, if you qualify poorly at any of these races now, uh, you'll pay the price because you need to be up front and getting on with the job. And if you're midfield or back, it just leaves you open to that. No matter what the track is, whether it's an oval um, or a, a track like yesterday, a poor qualifying effort is going to put you back in the pack and it's going to hurt because you're around so many other cars trying to do exactly the same thing. So, yeah, it's look, it was one of those things. Um, just as much as the second incident involving Jack Harvey in, in the race was, it's you know, a little bit of a carnage fest, which is not a good look, but uh, you know, it does happen. It's the nature of a street course as well. And, uh, you know, the, the good thing about it is these cars are so safe for these guys now that, uh, you know, no one came out of it hurt or anything like that. David, uh, wasn't that long ago where Scott Dixon was flying the Kiwi flag solo, and uh, now there's three, uh, including uh, Marcus Armstrong in uh, his, his rookie year, finished top of the rookies in the 11th place, start, a creditable start. Uh, tell us a wee bit about uh, Marcus Armstrong and his future in the IndyCar. Well, I think the future's probably bright. Um, you know, it's only a road and street course program this year, so um, Sato hops in the car uh, on all the oval events so that'll be the next race at Texas and then the Indy 500 and then further on in the year as well so Marcus is only doing you know three quarters of the season but I think that's a good way to dip your toe in the water it's a, a drastically different car to what he was driving in Europe he seems to have adjusted to it well I know a few of the people inside the Ganassi team who said they were very impressed uh, with his performance at the pre-season test about four weeks ago at a racetrack in uh, California uh, and they came away with a lot of positive vibes about him. So, you know, I think there's there's good things in the wind there. He's got great mentors around him, certainly with Dixon, um, because Dixon likes to share the knowledge with other New Zealanders. There's no doubt about that, you know. And, uh, OK, he'll still look after himself as well, but, you know, he's very patriotic in that sense. So I think that's a, a good thing. Marcus is a graduate of the... Um, Motorsport New Zealand Elite Academy, to which um, you know many listeners would know I'm a, a trustee of and have been for 15-odd years now. So we're very pleased to see him graduate to this level. It's another proof of the fact that maybe what we're doing inside the academy actually works. Um, yeah, look, I think it, it'll be a big year for him. There'll be ups and downs. Um, and the big thing is that he takes it away and, and continues to impress Chip because... 
good old Chip Ganassi, he's one that doesn't take any fools. You know, if there's a weak link there, he'll deal with it straight away. And if there's a good link, he'll foster that. And he's known to do both. And uh, I've seen it in action. And uh, I, I, yeah, I think his future is really good for Marcus. Increasing amount now of interest, though, uh, in IndyCar in New Zealand. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's rivaling Formula One just yet, but with the increased number of New Zealand participants in it, um, it must be growing. You must be notice, uh, noticing a growth of interest. Yeah, well, there is, because if you look at the feeder series leading into IndyCar itself, so you've got Indy Next, which used to be called Indy Lights. Um, there's a New Zealander in there, Hunter McElroy, in the second year. Um, and Hunter had a you know pretty bad accident on uh, Saturday, our time, in practice, but then finished a fine fifth yesterday so I think that that was a, a great comeback from him and he's a star of the future and then you go down another layer and in, in the USF uh, 2000 category Jacob Douglas out of Christchurch is in the second season and Jacob's you know only only thick thing now so you know it, it, it's, it's a big thing for him he's living over in the states by himself and all that sort of thing so it's a pathway for them and they see this progression pathway through the, the system that IndyCar have created and in many ways even though it's not cheap, it's it's more affordable maybe than Europe, um, and and there is a true pathway that has options at the end of it. So you know the feeder series feeds the Indy Next series, and the Indy Next series you know feeds IndyCar. So um, yeah, I, it, it's a very viable option, and there are a lot of other categories that you can race in the US that are affordable for drivers to be able to get into. Um, or show opportunities for talented drivers to get into. And, you know, thankfully, New Zealand as a country, we've got a few of them over there now, and I think there's a few more on the way. Well, David, you're about to uh, yourself start work on a big documentary project involving Kiwis yeah. in IndyCar. Tell us uh, a wee bit about it. What's what's the size of it? What's the scale of the operation? Well, I think I probably lost my marble smithy, if you're really honest, you know, but it's <laughs> it's something that I've wanted to do. I've wanted to do it for years. I've been around the series for 22 years now, from my time at TVNZ to after that, to you know, doing stuff for Sky and, and various other things. But I, I feel very passionate about it. And just like you know, your sport maybe with cricket, there's, there's these unknown heroes, if you like, or unknown people within the sport that don't necessarily always get the recognition that they deserve. And within IndyCar, uh, and the feeder series Indy Next, there's, there's over 22, nearly 25 New Zealanders working across teams, and they're all in very high-profile positions, from team managers to lead data engineers to, you know, all sorts of things, and they're, they're, they're sought after as well. So they're very talented in their own right, and those guys, you know, I know a lot of them personally, and they all intend coming home one day as well because New Zealand is home, and they will return home. But at the moment, they're you know, have families in the US and they're living there and they're part of that series. And so the aim is to try and uncover a few of them and not turn them into household names, but, you know, make people aware of the fact that outside of these drivers that we have, we also have all these other people. The, the documentary will focus on the drivers around the month of May at the Indy 500 um, and mm. not, you know, not take the light off that, but it also will show these other guys doing what they do and how, just how highly sought after they are. So it's a, it's a passion project, um, and as I said, it's one that I've wanted to do for quite a while, and we've got a few investors on board that are covering you know, some of the expenses for us, and you know, I put my money where my mouth is, and I said I wanted to do it, so I'm helping fund it, and uh, it'll be released on Sky Sport uh, later in the year. What's it going to be called? 
Kiwis born to fly, because I figured that Kiwis can't fly, so I was sitting here one day doodling yeah. on a piece of paper, and I came up with the name, and it's stuck ever since. <laughs> right up there with, so it's be right up there with Drive to Survive, Breakpoint, and Full Swing. You'll be on Netflix next, yeah? Yeah, well, no, nah, maybe not, because I think their budget would probably be, you know, that would pay <laughs> for me to make the series about 10 times over, so my one might buy the morning tea, but. You know, that's that's all right. It's just about telling the story. And, um, you know, I, as I said, it's, it's something that I just think that New Zealanders may enjoy knowing the fact that there's all these Kiwis there that are, are doing just these amazing things and, uh, and we don't really know about them. And I'm sure in any sport there is, whether it be sailing, cricket, football, whatever, there's always these people. So now's a chance just to, to do the motorsport angle. Well, I look forward to the end product. Uh, I really do, uh, David. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Nice little update on uh, what's happening with three Kiwis in IndyCar. It's uh, immensely interesting this season. Thanks for your time, mate. No, you're most welcome, Smithy, and I think it'll be a great season, and uh, we'll see some interesting results, I think, in three weeks' time at Texas. There's no doubt about that. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, the Scots will bounce back. 9.47 here. Uh, David Turner with us there uh, looking at uh, the IndyCar events, particularly of yesterday and what's coming up. We'll be back shortly. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, today we're going uh, NBA. The Sacramento Kings to beat the New Orleans Pelicans. That's a dollar forty-one. Tomorrow morning, uh, there's a game of football involving Chelsea, and uh, they will beat Dortmund, I believe, at one dollar eighty-three. And in uh, women's IPL, this is the first time we've had a crack at this. Uh, the Delhi women to beat the Uttar Pradesh Warriors. Uh, at a dollar seventy nine, so a dollar forty one, a dollar eighty three, one seventy nine. That's four sixty one. That's the Kings into Chelsea, into the Delhi women and the women's IPL. Uh, right, uh, we'll be uh, back shortly. Um, but uh, what about tech subjects today? Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Have you heard? Has anyone heard what uh, I, I heard uh, that Artie was having a, uh, his judiciary last night? Has anyone got an update on that? Please, a double eight, double three. Come in on that if you've heard that. Uh, also, what's your opinion? I mean, I gave it to those uh, pitch invaders last night because they're a pain in the ass, really, aren't they? They really are a pain. Um, but, but they might not be. You might have been one. You might have uh, had an experience with it. Double eight, double three. Love to hear your thoughts on either of those matters. All winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, what's coming up in the, in the next hour for us? Uh, we have so many talented really really talented uh, athletes in this country and of course uh, they had their uh, track and field championship in Wellington over the weekend and uh, some wonderful performances to talk about so we'll do that uh, with Scott Newman after 10 o'clock he's the Athletics New Zealand High Performance Director with his impressions of where we're at in the world of athletics and who are our next stars coming through we're also going to have uh, an earlier stunt so look out for that uh, an hour earlier today uh, at 10 30 We'll be asking for your calls on 0800 150 811. Uh, still want your texts uh, to come in on uh, Pitch Invaders. I hate them. I really do. I, and Because I hate security. I hate security, but I see the need for it when I see a bunch of idiots do what they did the other night in Wellington. I really do. Um, so it's a double-edged sword. 
you behave yourself, they'll cut them down. If you don't, they'll double them. Makes it worse for everybody. Uh, because that uh, adds to the price of your tickets, by the by. It's 10 o'clock. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here on SENZ and across four days, Newtown Park played host to New Zealand's best at the National Track and Field Champs, where plenty of household names showcased that they're on the right track with their performances with Paris 2024 in their sights. Jack O'Gill dethroned Tom Walsh. Eliza McCartney is soaring again and Zoe Hobbs is speeding past her competition. They were just a few of the highlights. It's my pleasure to welcome back uh, Athletics New Zealand High Performance Director Scott Newman. Uh, good morning to you, Scott. From uh, your perspective in your role, how do you think the, the championships went over the weekend? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, pretty heartening, actually. Uh, good to see at national level athletes are able to come in and fire. Um, you know, sometimes this isn't necessarily their peak time of the year. They'll be focusing on World Championships, Olympic Games, Com Games, but to be able to have a you know fantastic um, national champs like that was great. Gives it credibility, doesn't it? It gives it incentive as well. Yeah, and I think there are a few, few little rivalries there for us now too, which helps, as you mentioned just then, the... Um, you know, the, the Tom Walsh-Jacko Gill rivalry, that's that's pretty fierce now. And um, Tom's a bit grumpy, but fantastic to see that Jacko's throwing really, really well. And I expect him to go further this year too. But, you know, interesting now, they've both thrown exactly the same distance this domestic season. So I suspect it might bring Tom out for one more throw this year, which would be interesting to see. Um, yeah, another backup team means 800 metres. We had um, Brad Mathis and James Preston, both sort of emerging world-class guys, um, go head-to-head, and James just had the class over the weekend as well to put Brad for that. But it'll be interesting to follow them over the rest of the season too. Has the weekend, uh, from your point of view, helped to unearth some hidden gems that you're excited about developing further? Yeah, I guess what it showed is we've got a really good crop of I guess we'd call them that that emerging world class. We know we've got the big guys. You've you know you've Sam Tanner has come through and he really showed his class. The men's fifteen hundred meters. He just did that at a canter really. Um, you know, put twenty meters on the pack in the space of about fifty meters at one point to win it really comfortably. So confirmed his. But beneath you know those those really top guys, we've got a crop probably of about six, seven, eight athletes who are you'd say ranked probably in the twenties in the world now and they just need to pop through, mix with the levels. So the challenge for us is getting them across into Europe, do a, um, you know, do, do a Northern Hemisphere summer, just get them access to some more world-class competition. Wasn't that long ago that uh, Eliza McCartney was uh, one of the darlings of New Zealand athlete, athletics. She lit up the stage, really. Uh, she was winning her yeah. first uh, national pole vault title in six years after a height of 4.61. Is this just the start for you as she gets fitter? Yeah, look, really neat to see her back, actually, see the smile back again on her face. Um, it had been six years. So she's still finding her way. She's still off a short run-up. So pole vaulters generally run off, say, either a 14-18 step type run-up. She's still down on 12 steps. Um, so just got to find her way back to a longer run-up. So once she's back on that longer run-up, she'll be um, back at the top of the world. But, yeah, fantastic to see her back. And... Um, they're talking of those rivalries, women's pole vault incredibly strong for us. Our Imogeneris, who's Commonwealth bronze medalist, she could only finish third um, behind Olivia McTaggart and 
Elijah at the weekend, so we've got great depth there. We probably have three of them at World Championships this year. Well, I was going to say, and, and the possibility of uh, three at the next Olympics is on the cards as well. Yeah, it's not been often. We had three women hammer, hammer throwers um, in Commonwealth Games last year. So to have three, you're only allowed to enter three at these majors. Mm-hmm. So for us to have full fields in some of these events, pretty exciting. So how does how does it work? I mean, is there a specific pole vault program that, that you've got organised there? Why has it come to the point where all of a sudden we've got them lining up? Yeah, it's time. Um, and we do. Um, really, Jeremy McColl is the lead coach that we've had working now for, well, we're probably 10 years. Uh, so see, he set himself up at uh, AUT Millennium on the North Shore here and he's had that program running, as I say, 10, 11 years now. In fact, he started it himself. He bought his own pole vault poles and got everything going. And um, now we've got a, a good crop, probably 20 to 30 pole vaulters. We've got an assistant coach in there, James Stain, who actually won the national championship men's title. So he's in there as well coaching, and we've got one of the younger athletes coaching as well. Yeah, just a really good crop. Um, and now got all the support team around it. I guess uh, as a nation, we're just gaining in knowledge and wisdom around pole vault and what makes people go high and um, going well. Speaking of soaring, speaking of high, Hamish Kerr continues to be the gold standard in the men's high jump, uh, winning with a height of uh, 2.20 metres. But... Uh, does he have competition on his heels? I mean, is there a, a field developing behind him in that event? Not necessarily in New Zealand. We've got some other good jumpers, but they're not at his level. He's a he's a gap ahead. Um, in fact, interestingly, a, an Australian bloke, uh, 25, 26-year-old Australian, jumped 233 uh, last weekend, so just one centimetre behind Hamish. So it's good to have somebody that close um, who's jumping that high at the moment. Australia's also got a character by the name of Brandon Stark um, who is a yeah, world class jumper as well high 230s at his very best so between them Hamish has got close competition but the best thing about Hamish is he did a, um, a fantastic little indoor season over there in Europe just in February where he basically achieved everything he set out to achieve which is great news for his programme um, but yeah, need to see him, need to see him jumping at nationals he was literally just off the plane on Wednesday and you know, was competing on Saturday Zoe Hobbs, uh, and this is a good story for me, broke the 11-second barrier, barrier in the women's 100 metres. It was uh, wind-assisted, so not recorded. Uh, but given that she also ran 11.07 in her second heat, how close is Zoe to legitima- legitimately breaking that barrier, you feel? It's, she's there. Um, like those, I guess everyone that witnessed her 11.07 in the heat in the morning were amazed how comfortable she looked and how easy that looked. And the 10.89, we've been playing around with the conversions. There's these guys that do these conversions um, and these little formula you can plug things into. And if you use the World Athletics formula based on the wind that she had, if she actually had a legal wind, which I won't get too technical, but it's two metres per second is the allowable wind. So if she had a two metre per second wind, but using World Athletics tables, she would have run 10.95, 10.96. So she's sub-11, so she's definitely in that shape. And going to run this weekend actually in Sydney uh, against a couple of very fast Aussie girls so that may just help her through that Where does that rate, where does that put her on the world stage in terms of uh, the World Athletics Championships and the possibility of the Olympics, where would it rank her? Yeah, she looks, she's a dead cert for a semi-final um, it obviously depends a little how some of the other women are running at the time but she's definitely an outside chance now to make a final. If she can be running sub-11 at the championships themselves, she'll be in the final. 
um, she's that close. It, it's uh, it's it's an exceptional time. Anyone running sub eleven under any conditions, you're moving. Okay, let's uh, hop across to the men's uh, version of the 100 metres as well. Tian Welpton uh, is really making a name for himself, picking up his uh, maiden national senior title. Uh, what about the level of composition, uh, competition pushing him on both sides of the Tasman now? Yeah, we've got a few. Um, we're actually on a, well, the Australians are coming across for the Sir Graham Douglas meeting, which is uh, next Thursday night, the 16th, out at the Trust Stadium. Um, here in West Auckland, and there's a, a contingent of about half a dozen Aussies coming across for that, so that'll be a, a good test. And again, Tian's heading to Aussie um, to run again this season, which will end us giving that little bit of extra. The Aussies, they're, they're quick. They've got some young guys who are running very fast, very low tens, uh, so that'll keep Tian moving as well. Of course, Eddie's still running this season as well, Eddie, before he heads off to um, Hawaii to do his American Football Scholarship. Um, but he'll so Tian's there or thereabouts. He's showing some real consistency this season. Again, he'll just need to run just a notch quicker, and and he'll be pretty competitive as well. You, you touched on it before, but for so long, Jack O'Gill's been the apprentice, really, uh, behind Tom Walsh, um, and uh, they're both relatively still young men as such. Uh, Jacko throwing twenty one point eight. Uh, Tom's best was twenty one point two five meters. What do you think that means to Jacko mentally? A oh, massive boost for him. <laughs> he, um, you know, I think he, he'd been looking at this for a long time. Last year, he wasn't quite there. This year, to win it and to beat Tom, he, he, you could see it. I guess so, the grin ear to ear. So, just even the confidence in that. I know he's he's definitely confident that he's going to throw well beyond twenty two meters this season. And as we know, Tom's you know Tom's best is twenty two ninety when he's on fire. But if you're a, a young lad throwing 22 plus, then you are world class. So with both Tom and Jacko, um, who knows, next year Paris, they're definitely outside, or not outside, they're definite medal chances next year. Other than the two Americans, it's Jacko and Tom, uh, probably the, you'd be putting your money on for the next medals. Right, uh, let's look at also at the, the women's side of the field events with... with uh, uh, touched on Eliza, but uh, how about Maddie Wesh and um, her uh, shot put throw, and uh, also the the form of uh, Tori Peters and the javelin, which is outstanding. Yeah, both actually cemented their, their I guess their performances for the summer. So Tori's getting really consistent. She's been fifty nine, sixty nine meters every time she steps out this year, and Maddie truly world class. I think three throws over 19 metres in that women's shot put. Again, really consistent series. Uh, another one just under 19 metres. So both of them you know, should be looking towards world championships this year and, and perhaps just a notch better than they both achieved last year. Which is great, great to see. You mentioned uh, James Preston uh, and his impressive run, of course. Um, you know, we're, we're talking Peter Snell times uh, I think uh, Snell's national record of 1 minute 44.3 seconds has uh, stood the test of time set back in February uh, 1962. So uh, James Preston is zeroing in on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I read an article the other day actually about James. James is talking about Snell's record and he realises now just how fast Snell was. Uh, and you do, you sit and wake up when you see how quick some of these guys are running now. And Snell's time, of course, would still be world-class today uh, if he was running. But Preston has a real chance. 
Um, he's still learning his, his craft to some, some degree on an international level. Last year, he made the decision, instead of just trying to qualify for world championships last year, he decided to go to Europe and just try and run fast. Uh, and that's exactly what he did, and that worked really well for him. Now this year, to be back in New Zealand, he's run sub-146 again. So again, right conditions, right race, who knows how quick he can run. He's definitely capable of that sub-1 minute 45. And so 144 is not far off for him. So uh, that brings to mind another name who uh, obviously didn't make it back uh, from America this time round, but Geordie Beamish, where does he sit on the world stage? Yeah, he's um, he's doing for, I guess most people missed, he ran a 351 indoor mile to become our third ever fastest um, mile, in fact quicker than Sam Tanner, did that just a week or so ago. So it'd be interesting to see what he focuses on, he's told us he'd like to have a crack at 3,000 metre steeplechase, which would be different for a New Zealander. Um, but look, he's, he's now shown himself he's a world-class 1,500-metre runoff miner. Potentially will stay running some 5,000-metre races as well, where, of course, I think he was sixth in the Commonwealth Games last year. But it's really open for him now to decide what he wants to focus on and have a real crack. He's a world-class finisher. He's as good as anybody in the last 200 metres. So if he's there at 200 metres to go, you'd have your money on him. So in your role, uh, I've got to ask you, uh, Scott, in, in your role now, having seen these performances, which is the peak, of course, of, of our national competition here, uh, what now for these, these athletes and what now for your involvement with these athletes personally? Yeah, so we work, we work with each team. So each athlete's got a little team around them. We, we basically figure out what their campaigns look like uh, into the Northern Hemisphere this year. Most of these guys we've talked about will be at World Championships or have a real chance of getting there this year, which is in August. So we now just sit down with them and go, right, what are you looking at from here? Are you heading to Australia? Are you heading into Asia? Perhaps May, June, just do some meets. Or will you wait and just head up into Europe and perhaps June, July and do some meets there? And so we just figure that out with each of them. And where we can, we'll consolidate uh, groups of athletes in a particular place. Like we might base ourselves in Belgium. We might have some physio support there with them, and then they'll just pop from there around to the different meets that they go to. Um, one of the challenges, they're obviously all doing different events. They all get access to different meets, so it's not easy. It's not like a team sport where we just all jump on the bus, go to the ground, go to the same hotel. We've, we've At any time, we've literally got athletes spread across the world doing different things. But we just do that on a case-by-case basis and figure it out and help support them where we can. What's the production line like, uh, Scott? Uh, what secondary school athletics? I mean, I grew up through the McKevity Shield era in uh, Wellington, so athletics was hot, really hot down there. What, what about the school setup now? Is is there such a thing, or is it all about local uh, athletics um, associations? Uh, it's still very, very strong. In fact, Shield this week, I think it is. Um, but the yeah, national schools is always an interesting meet, and for the first time this year, we had an under-16 grade at the New Zealand Championships, which helped just showcase some of the younger talent. Uh, it's really as interesting because obviously your, your role models uh, tend to tip your talent into the events where they're going strongly through our throws events again, really strong at a junior level, and maybe that just shows that we actually have we have the coaching expertise now over the number of years. Um, from being strong at a world level with throws. Um, but the sprints, even Zoe, she's obviously inspiring the younger ones. We've got some great young sprinters coming through as well and depth there, which is really promising for potentially future relay teams for us where we could well be competitive on the world stage. So no, school athletics still very strong and national schools championships at the end of each year, there's you know, always literally thousands of kids that are champs. 
We've had some wonderful um, athletes uh, coming from um, uh, Polynesian or Maori backgrounds over the years, particularly in the strength events. Uh, we've always been good there. Um, and I, I just wonder how the development uh, in some of the key areas of uh, the Polynesian Maori populations, the development is going. Yeah, it's certainly something we're very aware of. And um, uh, Shaka Solar's got his Solar Power Academy uh, down there in Wellington, and, and he's got a really good crop of athletes coming through there. We've also got a coach based in South Auckland as well, and out at Pullman Park, we're generating, hopefully with the support of High Performance Sport New Zealand, a, um, a throwing academy out there with the support of um, Dame Valerie. Um, but look, it is, it's an immense area of interest to us just to see what we can develop, and if, certainly if you go through the names on our top list now, um, you'll see a lot of athletes coming through from basically out of out of those regions, and again, it's just the support and the camaraderie that can be built around those throwing groups. But pretty exciting. Pretty exciting indeed. I mean, the the whole uh, last uh, four or five days have been exciting with those times, and uh, I just think the participation and the names coming forward uh, can only be big uh, and only be bigger too uh, going forward. So, Scott, thanks very much uh, for your update on uh, what happened over the weekend. Nice to know that things are in very good heart. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers, uh, Scott Newman there. Of course, um, he's the boss of high-performance uh, athletes in this country looking for the, the performance over the weekend. Of course, they now uh, some of them go away and uh, taper off a wee bit, then peak again for world championships, etc. Others will continue to work on a daily basis. Uh, very interesting, and uh, certainly that... South Auckland area where we look at uh, the, they are genuine athletes I mean they're faster, they're bigger, they're stronger we only have to see them when they get into team situations in rugby and rugby league they're the fastest, they're the hardest to stop imagine being able to harness that into uh, individual sports, great for their upbringing, great for uh, all sorts of uh, areas of their life but just imagine the strength of these young uh, men and women who are able to throw and run and jump well it's, it, it makes you Quite jealous, to be perfectly honest. Uh, right, okay. Uh, let's hope they uh, go in the right direction, uh, which we are doing. Going through towards uh, ten thirty, we're going to ask you to play stumped at an earlier hour. Eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, Logan Swinkles has an update on the Artie Severe situation, so we'll get him to read that out as well. And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10.26, uh, we were wondering. In fact, the first thing I did when I got up this morning is uh, check out stuff to see what the punishment was for Adi Savi. I couldn't find anything and uh, now we know the reason why, Logan. Yeah, we do because... The decision didn't happen yesterday. Uh, the Sanzar committee did have an initial consideration, uh, well, the foul play review committee did, but it has seems it's been elevated and Adi will have to front the Sanzar Judicial Committee tonight via video conference. So we won't know until, I guess, later tonight, potentially uh, early tomorrow morning, what his fate may be. But the fact that he is having to front the judiciary does make me wonder what the penalty could be. Yeah, that's the thing for me too. Whether they, uh, whether logistically people couldn't be in place early enough to conduct the hearing, that's one easy solution for it. Uh, so you put it back a day. The other is it's such an unusual precedent, this, um, it's not one that uh, we've sort of encountered. Normally it's foul play and it's fairly obvious. 
uh, or it's breaking the rules of the game as such and incurring a penalty that way. This is almost uncharted territory uh, for such a high-profile player as well. I just wonder whether they took uh, another 24 hours to regroup and consider how they're going to go about this because um, if they uh, dish out a punishment to Adi Savia, it's going to cause uh, a big reaction, I feel. Anyway, just judging by the text that we've got, you know, uh, get over it. Uh, it was a moment of madness. He's apologised for it. Get over it. I think that's really, I think that's fair to say, Logan, that's been the gist of what people are saying. If the Judiciary Committee take a different attitude towards that and stand down the Hurricanes' best player, in fact, probably New Zealand's best player at the moment, for that act, um, I think it, I want to say it'll hit the fan, but there'll be a reaction, surely. I think some certain things might hit the fan smithy or the win- or the windows or the glass. Uh, I did find one Twitter poll where uh, Andy McGetty sort of threw out the question, he's a freelance uh, sports reporter, how many weeks will uh, Artie get said zero, case dismissed, 21.9 said one week, 19% two weeks, 10% said three weeks or more. I mean, that's just a small sample size, but that is kind of where I think a lot of rugby fans are at. I just, I think it opens up this entire other can of worms if it goes any further than that. I mean, you sort of look at, you know, foul play he didn't. I mean, he didn't hurt anybody. There's no concussion or shots to the head or anything like that. You know, why is this being made a bigger deal? They beat the living crap out of each other in the NHL, which is one of your pet sports. Um, and you watch a lot of American sport as well. Um, you know, they have confrontations when pitchers hit batters in um, in baseball. Uh, NBA, they're a lot more careful about human contact because they're dealing with such big men in a short space of uh, of area. What would be the reaction in, um, say, in, in NHL to that kind of gesture? What would be the reaction in the NBA, in your opinion? Well, there's been uh, certain characters in the game that have done things like this, but they're ones that don't have the reputation of an Artie Savir. Uh Players that kind of, you know, they're pests. They like to wind people up. I, I'm thinking of uh, Brad Marchand, who has the nickname The Rat. At one point, he licked a player. I'm I, trying to remember if he, he, I don't know if he just got a stern talking to. He might have got a bit of a fine. I don't think he missed games uh, from memory. But, yeah, a thing in this kind of thing, it's small. It's small fish. And it, I just don't really see how it's a big deal. Don't make it a big deal. It's stupid. Okay, I was just thinking it was interesting yesterday. I think it was uh, Ben Strang said uh, in the NBA, he kind of figured they'd deal to it very harshly, but maybe they wouldn't. Um, maybe they would not. I mean, different environment they live in over there with a, a truckload more violence. But having said that, uh, our country's catching up real fast. Uh, Smithy, my best pitch invader was the guy who never saw Andrew Simons. Bumpfer, gone but never forgotten. Yeah, the great um, Roy uh, absolutely dealt to him, didn't he, with uh, one of his great rugby league tackles. Um, Zayn has said, pitch invaders are just attention-seeking eggs. I have no time for them at all regarding the arty issue. What exactly does the gesture he made actually mean? In reality, it literally means, I'm going to smash you. So you're going to suspend someone for saying they are going to smash someone, yet the game is built on people smashing each other. Uh, Zayn said, that's woke madness. Uh, and thanks, yeah, Graham. We got the update on uh, Adi Savia. Thank you very much for that. Rightio, folks. Uh, it's an hour early today, but uh, we've still got the same prize up for grabs. Uh, get on the blower. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811.
Uh, it's time to stump Smithy. $50 bonus bet from the TAB up for grabs. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Don't check your watches or your clocks. Yes, Stumped is an hour early and no, Daylight Savings hasn't somehow happened already. It's because we got a new segment on Tuesdays happening at 11.30, so we're just shifting things forward a little bit here, Smithy. $50 TAB bonus bet. That is what is up for grabs today. Got three categories that are very much in your wheelhouse. I will say that. How are you feeling? Yeah, good. I uh, haven't had a win for a while, so uh, we need one earlier on in the week to see if we can build it up for... Uh, the weekend, so uh, looking forward to this. Yes, our segment at 11.30 is Ag Insights. Ag Insights, so uh, it's agricultural, and that will be with our very own Aroha Hathaway, who does such a wonderful job reading the news. Uh, I had no idea behind the scenes that she also had 500 acres as well that she was farming. But we <laughs> shall find out about more about that uh, with Aroha at 11.30 this morning. Right now, let's get on with business. What other, who's first, first, first of all, who's up today? Aroha uh, is probably pretty handy on a John Deere tractor too, might I add. Uh, first mm. at the crease, Lammy from Palmerston North. Come in, mate. Oh, g'day guys. Morning, guys. How you going? Yeah, Lammy. Good morning to you. How's uh, Palmy today, all right? Hi, it's pretty good. Actually, I'm on top of the Settle Road with a... Um, with a doing the road and making a new road because yeah, yep. I'm on top of the hill there, buddy. Right amongst the windmills. Yeah, buddy. So yeah, just um, parking my truck up, talking to you, Smitty. Okay, let's make it worth your while then, Lemmy. Uh, let's tell you what uh, the categories are. All right, the categories to choose from today, Lemmy, are football, rugby, and golf. Oh, God. You're good at all of it, mate, Smitty. Uh, okay, uh, well. <laughs> Smitty, you pick one. Yep. I don't care. You pick it. Oh, look, I don't know. I promise you, hand on heart, I've got no idea what the questions are. Um, yep. Let's go for golf. All right. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 you both try to just suck oh. each other out here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, hey, Logan. Logan, put it this way. Okay, next. <laughs> I reckon. Oh, we'll see I how you he's parked. I reckon he's parked at the driving range. Oh, that's right. I don't think he's on top of the saddle. He's parked at the driving range. I reckon. Okay. All right. We'll see how you go. First question for you, Lammy. Uh, this year's New Zealand Open was won by Aussie Brendan Jones, finishing the course eighteen under. Can you name the best finishing Kiwi who ended tied for second with fifteen under? Oh. I actually, I actually Googled this the other day and I think it was Bing Campbell. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, under where it goes. What? Wow. What's what? What is happening there? I don't know. I love that you said that you Googled it the other day. You definitely, that was way too fast to do it there in the moment. Yeah, I know, yeah. All right. Probably that's the only one I'll probably know. So, yeah. Well, okay. we'll see. I mean, with the amount that we talk about golf on this show, if you've been paying attention, you might do okay. Second question for you Who won the 2023 Arnold Palmer Classic? Oh. It's a. Oh. I think his last name was. Oh, Done it with K, I think. K. 
Kamasuma uh, or something like that. Try again. Oh, God. Kamasuma. Oh, somebody will know this, but I think it was, oh, I don't know. Kamasuma. Oh. Well, what do you reckon, boys? What do you reckon? There's a panel of two looking at each other in the studio up there. What do you reckon? I think it's an... I think it's an edge. I don't think it's quite enough. I'm going to yeah. throw it through to the keeper. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I only watched it this time Kurt. yesterday. Kurt, Kurt Kitayama from America. Kurt Kitayama oh, from America. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of chips down the wicket. <laughs> right in the slot. And away it goes. Oof. Soon as soon as that edge came, I knew it was going to be in the keeper glove. So, unlucky to you, Lammy. Back to the pavilion for you. But Luke from Dunedin, you're up next. Come in, mate. Good morning. Golf. How are you mate? on it? Oh, yeah, no, I'll go. Oh, I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Well, you've only got one question for the fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Lammy did all the hard work here. What you year did. did the Arnold Palmer Classic winner Kurt? Kiriyama compete at the New Zealand Open. Oh. Oof. 2020. 2020. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I see the look on Smithy's face. It's one of confidence. I think the keeper. No, it's not really. I, I, I don't think so. I, I'm not that confident. There's two years that come to mind for me. 2015, uh, when Cam Smith played in it, and 2017. Are the two years that I've got um, in my head. I'm going to go 2017. Five, six years ago. Kurt Kitayama. One of the worst things I have oh, ever oh, seen done on a cricket field. It is so hard to hide, to be a poker face on this sometimes. 2018 was the answer I was looking for. Oh, you're for. kidding. You're kidding. Okay. Well, then. Ooh. Well, Kurt Kitayama won about uh, 3.6 million US dollars yesterday for turning up. So, um, And you, Luke, for hanging on and being patient. You've won a $50 bonus bet from the TAB, which won't be sneezed at either because you can turn it into plenty. So congratulations, mate, for being patient. And um, stay on the line, Brian. I'm sure Brian's got your details because you've been a winner here before, but uh, just in case. And uh, we'll um, we'll play again tomorrow, probably about 11.30 instead of 10.30. Cheers, Luke. Uh, Thanks. Have a terrific day. And uh, also to Lammy. Great sport, Lammy. Uh, Loved it. Uh, Drive safely, uh, pal. Uh, And thanks for everyone uh, taking part this morning. It is uh, 10.40 here on SENZ. Summer all winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. And uh, one of the biggest fans of racing in this country is uh, Louis Herman Watt, who uh, joins us now. And uh, Louis, I did have uh, a big blank next to your name this morning because being a Tuesday, a pretty quiet Tuesday, I didn't uh, really have too much of a theme. And then I stumbled on a really nice story uh, about uh, Andalus. Now, of course, everyone that uh, had a bet in the New Zealand derby at the weekend basically backed sharp and smart. That's why it was so short. So they'd have been very, very nervous when they saw Andalus uh, looming uh, at 100 to 1. Not many people would have had that. 
But the reward for Andalusia, I'm reading now, uh, Louis, is a trip to Australia, to the Australian derby. That's exactly right, Smithy, and why wouldn't you? Um, this is a great story because Bruce Perry bought Andalus, Al Manzor, um, races in Libertania's colours there, and uh, we know what investment he puts into the New Zealand racing industry with Alison Parknair as well. It's a really cool story because Andalus was right, running over 1,200 metres as a two-year-old. I think he's placed in a group one, maybe the, maybe ran fourth in the slip. Or did he run fourth in maybe the size last year? Or even a place? So here's the thing. This is a horse. Another Almanzor that was sprinting as a two-year-old and then it's turned up and franked its breeding by running a huge derby truck trip. Um, and I, that, I guess the interesting thing about the, the race that was run, I think Sharp and Smart kicks back when he saw Andalus. And this is, the, this is why Sharp and Smart is giving all of those champion sort of vibes. And he's not a champion. He's only a three-year-old. He's only won three group ones. He's, he's going to win plenty more, I tell you that. But I think when he saw him, he kicks back. And that's what gives you those vibes that this horse could be special. And Andalus, he deserves his trip across the ditch. I think Mark Twain is going to go. Of course, Robert Wellwood and Roger James, well, they won the Queensland Derby with Pinarello. Um, remember Lee Finnis' whip-dropping ride, a beautiful ride in his last race ride. Um, they won last year, so I think there's a chance that they take Mark Twain back to Queensland. Uh, and Imperatriz, she goes to the William Reed, the sprinting race at Mooney Valley at the end of this month. And Babylon Berlin's going to get her chance as well, Smithy. So we are starting to lock our sights on Australian features. And after the weekend, this could be the autumn we've been looking for for a couple of years. Right, uh, tomorrow in terms of New Zealand racing, it's uh, a meeting at uh, Taupo, which is uh, always an interesting meeting in terms of uh, horses coming together from uh, the Hawke's Bay area, um, and then of course uh, big from Cambridge and uh, Matamata in the north. Uh, but of course it's very hard now for Hawke's Bay people to get as far as uh, Taupo, it's a, it's a round trip of about uh, five or six hours, uh, with a horse float I would imagine even longer, so... I'm not quite sure about the strength of the Hawke Bay contingent, but there's Taupo tomorrow. What else coming up this week? Yeah, we've got a, we've got a horse racing at Taupo tomorrow if I get paid in the BGP colours. So hopefully she can break her maiden or at least go close. She trialled up nicely. Um, we'll see what odds they give us later on. Uh, it's Auckland Cup week, Smithy. Everything forges towards Auckland Cup this weekend. And, of course, the bone crusher where we're going to see prowess again. Um, champion S is some nice ones. Ladies man versus applicator in the Auckland Cup. That'll be an absolute doozy of a 3,200-meter race. So uh, I can't wait to bring you coverage of that on the good oil this weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Did I hear that uh, Craig Zaki, after being so successful on Tokyo Tycoon, is uh, heading back home to South Africa? Yeah, 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 that's right. He, um, family reasons, him and his family, they, they've got to go back at this stage, which is a shame because... He's, he honestly dominated. Him and Warren Kennedy have become punters' favourites, trainers' favourites, owners' favourites. They seriously have acquainted themselves so well. They're just so professional, but he hopes to come back. Um, he does, and we hope to have him back. And actually, that's a good point. Tokyo Tycoon races in the Sistema Railway, the first group one for two dogs this weekend. And, well, you lose Craig Zaki, but you gain Oki Blossom. So I guess you won't be too missed if you're Butch Castles, will you? No, you won't be miffed if you're Butch Castles. You shouldn't be uh, miffed if you're Butch Castles anyway, as a lucky man. Uh, but here, um, in terms of Boys Get Paid activity, what have you got coming up? 
Um, the beachy pea lads. I don't know what they've got going on. Um, they'll be cooking some sort of punters club up, no doubt, for autumn. Maybe the championship. Uh, Luke tends to target. And as I say, we've got this silly if I get paid tomorrow racing, and I've just got a toenail of her, but um, we hope she can race well because there's a good bunch of young owners in there, predominantly young men. So it would be awesome to see them rewarded. A lot of us, and you know, the first kind of first time you've been involved in a horse. So hopefully she can do some reward and, and uh, Mark Walker and I think it's Hakeem Cameroon riding her can uh, at least run a really nice race. It'll be great to see her run in the placings tomorrow. So we'll see what odds they give us. Good on you, Louis. Uh, all the very best with that. We'll uh, catch up with you tomorrow. Uh, enjoy the rest of uh, your day. It's coming up 10.51 here on SCNZ. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Righto, let's get across to the TAB with uh, Brendan Popperwell. BP, pretty quiet sort of a Tuesday, a little bit of basketball uh, to look at and uh, some racing coming up later in the week. That's right, Smithy. Yeah, very good morning to you. Yeah, certainly in terms of basketball, we've got four games that are taking interest here for punters uh, and, uh, around the multis. Portland Trailblazers at $1.44, well found against the Pistons. One forty-one around the Denver Nuggets, well played against the Raptors. The one that is taking money uh, is the 76ers against the Indiana Pacers, $1.32 for them, and also the Cavs, money around them at $1.32 through multis. So those four in a multi give you $3.53. That's been the well-taken multi in terms of NBA. Looking ahead in uh, sort of the rugby world and certainly the league world, Smithy, it's a weekend of matchups, and the first game uh, coming up in round number two, the Penguin Rabbit. We'll see money for the bunnies at two twenty-eight against the Penrith Panthers at a dollar sixty. That's going to be a blockbuster. And of course, you've got the Broncos and the Cowboys taking on each other on Friday night. One seventy-eight for the Broncos, and there's money around for the Cowboys. And in terms of rugby, uh, the clash between the Hurricanes and the Blues. Hurricanes two forty, Blues a dollar sixty. We've seen a little bit of money towards the Canes uh, in the early twenty-four hours of trading. And the Brumbies Reds. Brumbies are taking support too at the one fifty-two against the Reds, who put up a cricket score on Sunday. You'll be on deck, no doubt, uh, BP, this weekend uh, with the Auckland Cup meeting, of course, including the Bone Crusher. What a tasty match yeah. up La Creek and Prowess. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a heck of a race, because if you look how close Campionessa got to Sharp and Smart in the Hoobie Dyke, uh, that horse takes your place also in uh, the Bone Crusher stakes on the weekend. Uh, you've got Asterix, as we know, is last year's derby winner, uh, has been working up a treat leading into the race, so that's going to be one of the, the fields of the of the week, you'd say. That particular race, the Bone Crusher, the Sistema with Tokyo Tycoon, uh, looks the one to beat for sure. Uh, it's just going to be one of those race days, Smithy, where, of course, the Auckland Cup, which is not a Group 1, but Aquacard is a deserved favourite, where she gets him with just a 53 kilos. Uh, there's some lovely tickets around here at around $16. Uh, she sits currently now in the fixed odds price at around 210 BP, you have a terrific day. Thanks for your time this morning. Sorry, All good. Yeah, just uh, uh, Brendan Popwell there. Yeah, just um, um, adding to those uh, odds for the Blues. Yeah, Hurricanes two forty Blues a buck sixty like that. Um, the Chiefs are run backable at a dollar eight to beat the Highlanders. It seems uh, the Rebels uh, three forty. The Waratahs very short at a dollar thirty. The Crusaders uh, lined up to smash for Fiji and Drua. They're only a buck seven. So uh, really uh, tough money there. 
Um, and Brumbies at $1.52 over the Reds in a very interesting local derby um, in Australia. Uh, and the one I think you can have a look at with confidence, here's one. Uh, Moana Pacifica and the Force. The Force are $1.50 favourites to beat Moana Pacifica. $1.50. Force got a hiding at the weekend. The Moana Pacifica, you know they're going to win one, two or three games this year. You know it. And I think that this is one that they can win. At $2.60. I reckon this is one that uh, Aaron Major and the lads have targeted and said, this is our one. This is our one. Right, uh, speaking of uh, success, uh, we're going to be talking uh, to uh, Leanne Walker. Leanne, of course, a tall fern great in her own right. But she has uh, a really talented young uh, daughter by the name of Charlize Ledger-Walker, who is doing great things in uh, college basketball in America guiding Washington State to its first Pac-12 tournament win. Outstanding. She was to the fore in that. Find out more about that performance and uh, women's basketball in general with uh, Leanne Walker coming up uh, very shortly. And then at uh, 11.30, a new segment with Aroa Hathaway featuring Ag Insights. In the meantime, here's Aroa. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Rice launches a deep three off the mark. The long wait is over. Washington State Pac-12 champions. With Charlie Sledger Walker, Bella Murray, run with four straight games here in the tournament. We just believed in ourselves so much coming into this game. <laughs> oh my god, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now, but this team is legit. We've proved ourselves day in so and day out and we just played so hard today. So I'm so proud of everyone. Well, that is joy. Absolute unbridled joy. And yesterday we saw a historic moment in women's college basketball as the Washington State Cougars became the lowest seeded team to win the Pac-12 tournament. They were the seventh seeds taking on the number five seed, UCLA, beating them 65-61. And in the thick of it, you heard it, New Zealand's Charlize Ledger-Walker with 23 points, seven rebounds, three assists. And thanks to her leading performance, Charlize was named the tournament's most outstanding player, further cementing her credentials as one of the best female pro- prospects in the game, without doubt. Uh, with us now is her proud mum, who uh, herself was a great achiever for the Tall Ferns, but uh, at the moment living the basketball life um, from a distance, I would imagine. Leanne, good morning to you. Good morning. Hey, how cool. How cool was that? Were you able to watch it? Yeah, we were able to watch it, thank goodness. Took a little bit of um, digging around to find the right link and getting the right VPN, but no, we managed to watch it live and for the interviews afterwards, so that was pretty special. So what were the, the levels of pride like uh, in that, knowing how hard it is to go over there and make your name um, in college sport? Um, okay, um, she's had a bit of a history in it, and she's done well in it, but how uh, to finally get to this level with the success with the Cougars as well, how, how proud did you feel about that? Oh, incredibly proud. Um, we, we just know how much work she puts in behind the scenes to get to the position she's in so you know she deserves it she she works her butt off 
day in, day out. Um, and despite a bit of a roller coaster ride this year, yeah, she's managed to achieve her dream um, and get herself to a Pac-12 championship and then to top it off to win it. So now we're incredibly proud of, of Charlie's and her achievement. So, Charlie, um, have you spoken to her yet? And if you did, what was her reaction? Yeah, yeah, we've, we've spoken to her. She rang not long after the game and she was just beaming. So, um, yeah, still she, she still couldn't believe it. Um, <clears throat> but, no, just, just soaking up every minute because they know that um, whilst they've won this Pac-12 championship and, and they will, you know, celebrate for a, a day or two, They've got another big tournament coming up, so they'll be back to the grindstone and, and working their butts off again. But no, she was very, when, very happy, and, and we were happy for her. Liam, when did you realise that Charlize might go this far in basketball and you made the commitment to send her to the United States? Uh, she's loved the game ever since she was little, so I don't know when she was nine and playing for my under-15 team. Uh, she had something special, but... You know, all the all the girls, her, Crystal, and even Tanika, they've been in and around the basketball scenes for a while. So um, they just love the game. And when you, when you love it and you're passionate about it and you work hard, um, great things can happen. So she, uh, through the college system, of course, um, she has to have an education thrown in alongside her. What, what's she studying? Uh, she's studying a business degree with some um, environmental science thrown in there. Oh, wow, that could be invaluable uh, when she gets home uh, if she wants to base herself at home. But at the moment, uh, things are looking good in other directions. The shooting was uh, laser-focused yesterday, five from seven in three-point attempts alone, seven from the 11 in field goals, uh, only missing one free throw. Outstanding performance. Yeah, no, she, she knew she needed to lock in for that game. Um, and, you know, earlier in the season, she wasn't always hitting her three-point shot, but that's the good thing about Charlie. Uh, one of her key sayings is, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So just keep shooting. So aside from shooting, what other areas of the game do you see her developing in as you watch her progress? Um, just her speed and agility. She's always had a really high cue for the game. Um, again, you know, she's been playing with older members and teams for many, many years. So she's, she's a great watcher of the game. She's a thinker. Um, and I guess one of the key things for Charlize and, and this WSU team is she makes others around her better. And I think um, this year in particular, the other players in that team around her have got better. And, and you know, I don't know if you heard Bella's interview last night, but she gets them in the gym training with her and, and they're, just, yeah, they're just rising because of that. So she makes others around her better. That, that's a real um, key factor for her. I would imagine being a nine-year-old playing uh, in an under-15 team, she's got pretty used to the, uh, pretty used to her at a young age being uh, not the tallest uh, in the group. Um, how does she stack up in terms of uh, her height in, in, in college basketball? Yeah, no, she, she's not one of the tallest, um, but she just knows how to use her body well. She's pretty strong, um, grounds herself. But, you know, I think the beauty of our Kiwi kids is they've played a, a range of different sports. So she's played touch and she's played netball um, and just the skills that you can transfer from those pose in terms of your agility, your angles for passing, 
um, range of different passes, peripheral vision, that all adds to her um, stature, I guess, um, which she needs because she is definitely not one of the one of the tallest ones out there. If anything, she's definitely guard size um, and not a big guard at that either. So uh, obviously, uh, Sister uh, Crystal um, was involved too. And uh, what, what did you choose for, for your girls? What did what did you choose, Washington State? Um, it wasn't so much Washington State initially. It was just the people and the coaches there. Actually, Crystal had played in Northern Colorado for those coaches, and when they won their conference, um, the coaches got scouted and. and shoulder tap to go to the Pac-12, which is a Power 5 conference. So when the the three coaches left to go to um, WSU into the Pac-12, Crystal stayed one more year in Colorado and then followed them. And that was just around about the same timing that they were trying to recruit Charlie. So we went to Washington State for one of us, one of the visits. We went to we went to three different schools, actually, by the time she narrowed it down and yeah, just, and, you know, those those coaches have been, they treat the kids as, as humans first, and that's really important. It doesn't always happen in the system over there. It's a business, and their jobs are on the line if they're not winning. But we always know that, you know, when push comes to shove, they'll look after the person rather than the player. So, yeah, that's the reason we went to WSU. And for people that are looking perhaps to send their children along the same pathway, um, just to... Could you just explain how important, though, the educational side of it is? Yeah, incredibly um, important here in New Zealand. So you have to make sure that um, you're stacking up with your grades and and keeping on top of your academics. Um, That's one thing Charlie and Crystal both managed to do. Um, I mean, Charlie is also um, selected as one of the academic or honour students, which means her academic grades are above a 3.8 GPA, the top is a 4.0. So you've got to be able to balance that. And, you know, that starts with work here in New Zealand. If you're aspiring to go over to the States, you have to get your stuff done here while you're at school and just develop really good habits. Because the other side to that too is you are, you know, they call them student athletes, student first. Um, So your academic grades, if they don't stack up, um, potentially scholarships could be lost. so in saying that, though, the, the schools usually put so much support around the athletes that it's very difficult to have your grades drop below par um, because they need they want their athletes there. So they have tremendous support, as in tutors. Sometimes the tutors travel when they're travelling on away games and then their professors are really understanding of the athletes that they have in their classes too. But, yeah, that, that's a really good point. If, if parents are thinking of sending you know, their kids on scholarships over there, you have to get the academic side down pat. Leanne, for, uh, we know right now that uh, New Zealand women's sport is on a bit of a high. We've had the Black Ferns, of course. We've got uh, the cricket team um, getting plenty of exposure. We've got, the, of course, the Women's Football World Cup just around the corner as well. Could you just explain uh, just how big uh, the women's college basketball is in America? Yeah, it's really difficult for Kiwis to uh, comprehend how massive um, those tournaments are and um, the the power of the uh, conference, the big five conferences. So there is so much money um, involved in the university sporting system over there. 
um, you know, it, it blows our national budget out of the water. So they've heavily, heavily invested in their um, sports teams and the university system over there. And, and then those lead um, directly into like their NBAs and their WNBAs and the NFL and, you know, it, the list goes on. But it is massive. And, you know, to, to win the Pac-12 conference is huge and to have a Kiwi as part of that, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to comprehend if, if you don't know the systems over there. It is, yeah, it's a massive, massive achievement. Well, Sister Crystal, of course, has uh, gone on to a WNBL contract with the Townsville Fire. Uh, how did she enjoy uh, that uh, that season? Well, that WNBL um, comp- um, competition is, again, very, very highly ranked on the world stage, and Crystal's regularly playing with some of the best players in the world and her team in Townsville Fire. Uh, many of them are Opals, some of them WNBA players, so... While she's not getting a lot of time in, in some of the games, she is learning. She knows that just being part of that environment and training with and against those ladies day in, day out is just helping develop her game. And, and honestly, for our Tall Fans program, we're, we're trying to qualify at the Asia Cup in June, July. The experience that um, Crystal and, and our other WNBL players, Nina Davidson's in there, Kalani Pusina was, um, Lauren Hippolyte is invaluable for us moving forward as a nation in terms of our senior women's program. So she's she's enjoying the learning. She reckons it's tough. She doesn't shy away from the training. She's always been a great trainer. So she's just enjoying the opportunity to work and, and play amongst the best <clears throat> on a daily basis. So, yeah, no, she's she's learning a lot. Well, both your girls' development, of course, came before the advent of Toihi basketball, uh, and that was offering a professional league at home. Uh, but now that we've got Toihi, and it's in, only in its early stages, of course, uh, how do you see that now developing Kiwi girls uh, as a pathway going forward? No, it's a great opportunity for uh, New Zealand to develop a pathway for our juniors, and part of it because we're able to attract now some players from overseas and. After our inaugural year last year, <clears throat> there is a little bit more interest in some of these players. And, and as they're trickling out, like, you know, the Paninas and the Crystals trickling out into some of these other leagues, there's more of a, a they can advertise it a little bit better too. So the pathway is good if they get to play against um, and with some really talented and professional athletes coming from overseas. But it also gives us a little bit of a platform to build our tour friends program and, and moving forward, that's, that's really, really important. And then the other platform then is, as we've talked to, is the university system. So, uh, you know, having those two pathways for our kids, kids just gives us a wider base that we can tap into, which is really, really important. Are you going to be vo- involved yourself again? You're involved with uh, the Northern Kahua. Are you uh, involved again this year? Yeah, Jody. Jody will have me back. Um, I'll be um, involved again with the Northern Kahu. Had an, an incredible year last year. It was so much fun, and, and just in terms of my own coaching development, um, learned a lot. So, really, um, you know, wanting to continue that. So, hopefully, still working with Northern Kahu. Early days uh, with Tahui here, of course, but. Uh, how do you see it stacking up in the future with Australia's WNBL? Oh, we've got a little way to go yet. Um, there's a 
you know, those franchises over there, there's a lot of money at play and they've been around a little bit longer. But, you know, if we can develop our Tauhi League to, say, include six teams next time, we've only got five currently, um, but six to even stretching it out to eight teams in, say, five or six years would be amazing, again, just to give, you know, more um, opportunities for our young girls to play with and amongst professional um, people so that we can strengthen our national programs. Uh, Justin Nelson uh, has, uh, Leanne, introduced this concept of the Rapid League that will help fast-track the development of those players not in the starting fives. Uh, do you see that being a success? Um, to be honest, I haven't looked too much into that Rapid League, but um, fr- from a few snippets of uh, conversations with other people in the in the scene, you know, we're always looking for new and innovative ways to try and grow our game. So we're going to look at that and see how it works. And, and again, those those girls that are sitting on the bench, being able to get court time is going to be an important part of their, their game. And to get it at that level hopefully does elevate um, their skills and their abilities, therefore making our Tauahi League even stronger. So, yeah, who knows? Um, we're always looking for innovative ways to grow the game and grow the profile of the game and make it more exciting. Uh, just finally, uh, what year is uh, Charlie Sin um, at Washington State? So she's a junior, which is her third year, so potentially um, it's, a, it's usually a four-year stint at the university. So she's a junior with, with one more year to go before graduation. Okay, so um, now you start achieving at this level, uh, I guess scouts start looking, um, and I, I would imagine that would be the ultimate, would it, the women's uh, NBA in America? Yeah, no, that's been Charlie's goal for a while, and you know she, she knows she just has to plug away and make small steps to get towards there, but that's definitely something that she's got on her radar and would, would like to um, be part of in the future, so... Yeah, who knows? She's just got to keep working hard and, um, yeah, just making small steps forward every day. Leanne, it's been great uh, catching up with you. Uh, very happy that uh, you're a proud mum and you've still got so much involvement yourself uh, within the game. But uh, for Charlize in particular and Crystal in Australia, um, what achievers they have been. Congratulations to you uh, and thanks very much uh, for taking the time this morning to talk to us. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, cheers. Leanne Walker uh, there, folks. Um, a great achiever herself uh, within New Zealand basketball. On the court now, uh, adding to her coaching uh, uh, credentials as well off it. Uh, but uh, such a proud parent, honestly. She must be of the development. And that yesterday was significant, I promise you. Got a little bit of knowledge about uh, college sport in America. And when you start winning... Uh, those kind of competitions, you put yourself to the front. And when you are the most outstanding player uh, of the whole tournament, uh, don't you worry, scouts will be knocking if that kind of form continues. And then the doors will open up to professional women's basketball at the highest level. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 11.21 here on SENZ. Parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out.
And let's find out now with uh, Logan Swinkles, uh, producer extraordinaire. What's uh, hot off the desk? Thanks, mate. Uh, if you've been following along the story of Ja Morant, the uh, Memphis Grizzlies star, of course, you probably better know him, uh, Stephen Adams and that shot of him carrying, on, carrying him off like a bodyguard and protecting him. Uh, he's been in quite a bit of hot water lately. Uh, police in Colorado have said they are investigating Ja Morant's actions from the weekend after the Grizzlies star posted an Instagram live live video in which he displayed what appeared to be a gun while at a nightclub. The Glendale Police Department confirmed the incident took place at a bar in Glendale, a small in-cave surrounded by Denver, known for its strip clubs and shopping centres. A source told ESPN it happened at Shotgun Willie's which describes itself as a gentleman's club. The department said it is investigating whether Morant might have broken any gun laws in the state. It is an open carry state Although there are exceptions to that rule, which include including the carrying of a firearm on federal property, it is illegal in Colorado to possess a firearm while under the influence of alcohol. The NBL, NBL rules prohibit a player from possessing a firearm while on team property or travelling on team business. In said video that he streamed on Instagram Live, uh, it's unclear whether Morant was intoxicated, but others were shown drinking. He's away from the team as the NBA conducts its own investigation, and the Grizzlies have not given a definitive timeline for his return yet, Smithy. Well, that's an interesting one for me. Uh, why these guys take guns to these places anyway? Um, it, it just it sounds absolutely crazy. Uh, here's a guy in a privileged position. Uh, he's a terrific basketballer. We all know that. But why? Why, Logan? Why do they put themselves? Uh, is the money? Is it money just goes to their head, or is it their? Um, is it the, their upbringing before professional basketball, which is still influencing their lives, or their people around them? That are causing them. I mean, if I'm if I'm in the Grizzlies, right, and I think I need a bit of protection going to a nightclub, I just ask Stephen Adams to come with me, don't I? Isn't that the easy way out? <laughs> I think Stephen Adams has probably made the smart decision and uh, stayed away from said activities. It'll be interesting to see what happens there, both with the Colorado uh, Police Department's investigation and the NBA zone. Uh, another one, Smithy, it's been in the headlines for quite a while here in New Zealand and it only seems to be ramping up with the FIFA Women's World Cup uh, almost at our doorstep. This is also from Mark Ogden, senior writer from ESPN FC. They've been urged by Football Australia, that is FIFA, uh, and of course Football Australia along with New Zealand are the co-hosts of that World Cup to reject an attempt by Visit Saudi to become a major sponsor for the tournament. Although FIFA has yet to confirm that Visit Saudi will be announced as a tournament sponsor, recent reports have said that the football's governing body has been in discussions with prominent figures in Saudi Arabia over a lucrative partnership deal for this year's World Cup. The reports have led to widespread condemnation of the possibility of them being involved in the Women's World Cup due to concerns over human rights issues and the treatment of women in Saudi Arabia. Both Football Australia and Football New Zealand have sought clarification from FIFA, but with the issue still to be resolved, Football Australia CEO James Johnson has now put pressure on FIFA to abandon any plans to team up with Visit Saudi. Wow, this is a big story, you know. I mean, this is a massive event, and we're talking about a huge amount of money and a, uh, an area which, of course, has been horrific in its human rights towards women in particular. But um, they won it. They, they you know, hosted that in Qatar, of course, and um, 
you know, the, the Men's World Cup. I mean, up until, what, three, four years ago, women weren't even allowed to go to football games, Logan, I think, um, in parts of Saudi Arabia. And now they're all of a sudden about facing and saying, this is the greatest event on, on the planet. We now need to get our tourism department in behind this. It is really smelly, this one. And I, I, I'm not quite sure where it's going to end up because at the end of the day, we're not talking an event that is two years away. We're talking an event that is just months away. Yeah, we are. And of course, when you think of what's at stake here, there is a lot of money involved, but there's also a lot of reputation involved. So it kind of begs the question, it's probably very similar to, to Live Golf. How much money um, does your stance withhold, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Money talks, as they say, but uh, how will it talk in this event coming up? It'll be interesting to see. Right. Uh, it is uh, 11.31. We're going to have a double dose of Ottawa very shortly because we've got the news uh, coming up. And then uh, after that, uh, Ottawa and I will be discussing agricultural insights, agricultural insights coming up here on SENZ very shortly. With the very latest in rural news, this is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith, Collier's Rural and Agribusiness, Licence REAA 2008. Yes, uh, on behalf of the good people at Collier's and I know a few of them as well that uh, we've uh, got this new segment of the show, it's uh, called Ag Insights and uh, I'm going to be asking uh, Aroha Hathaway some questions, uh, only two or three uh, each uh, uh, Tuesday morning, each Tuesday morning at this time and we'll just uh, mull over a, a few uh, ideas around um, and happenings within the, the agricultural sector and First up, Arawa, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy, my favourite person. <laughs> I am today, I know that. Hey, look, uh, Arawa, uh, one of my time-honoured events when I was growing up as a kid was Golden you Shears, right? You did not, you did not. I loved the Golden Shears. Did you Godfrey do it? Bowen. Got no. I've have been. I've been in the shearing shed, though. I've been in the shearing shed. Okay. So let's talk uh, golden shears, shall we? It's uh, um, it's uh, another event uh, which has been outstanding. Um, they've just been held in Marston for the first mm. time in several years, due to uh, COVID, of course, uh, like a lot of events. Um, so they're back. And, and what happened? It was good fun. I watched some really cool footage of it on morning news slash entertainment television. Of some, there's always that one reporter who gets sent out to cover stuff that they wouldn't usually so they seemed the newest rookie out to cover it and he had a fun time trying not to open up the sheep with the shearing things. My mum used to be a rousy, I should know the terminology better. But the shearing legend Roland Smith, who's from Hawke's Bay, actually took it out and for an eighth time. So he gets to go to Scotland for the Golden Shares World Shearing and Wool Handling Championships, which they happen in June and he'll be looking for his third world title. I mean, we, that's sport. Isn't it? Eight titles domestically and then three titles internationally would be quite nice. That's almost well, Lewis Hamilton. Well, no, it's not quite because this is a sport that comes out of work. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing industry if you're involved in, in the sharing industry, but it's a sport that comes from work, a little bit like forestry. You know, you, you, you get your fantastic um, woodcutters uh, that mm. go to world championships around the world. It's a, it's a sport that generally uh, comes out of an industry and they make... 
uh, they make activities out of it, and th- this is amazing. Um, I've know, never the, the amount I've, of sheep that they share in a short space of time is quite incredible. The athleticism has always done my head, and my nephews who are twins um, and their partners are shearers, and they've been champions in their field too. And I used to live in Marston, and, and Golden Shears was always the thing to go and do in Marston. And Mum, having been a Rousey, I was always fascinated by because I, I lived so far away from a shearing background mm. because that was when Mum was you know forty years younger. And the shearing community, I'd never realised until I had to go and film in there how much they moved around the world and that that mm. was their ticket to world travel as well and was, was their job and it took them all, all overseas. So Roland Smith will be heading to Scotland. I'm not going to even Good embarrass hawks. myself with a Scottish accent attempt there. You're welcome. Good hawks, babe. No, you've got the other accents covered. You don't have to worry about the Scots. Right, okay, here's another thing. Here's another thing uh, which is entirely, you couldn't get further removed uh, from uh, sharing of sheep. And we, we know about cow's milk, we know about goat's milk, we know about sheep milk, but tell me about deer milk being especially good for women. And I want to differentiate between deer milk and deer's milk because otherwise you'd just think it's expensive milk. And it still right. is. So there's this study that's been done by Massey University that shows bone health and strength could be answered by deer's milk. Apparently it's got a much higher calcium content than our plastic bottled dairy milk. But it's not cheap, Smithy. It'll cost you a bottle of Japanese whiskey. $80 a litre. Really? Yeah, $80 a litre. Yes. <laughs> but the health benefits, no hangover and much higher calcium content. Goodness me, 80 bucks a litre? Okay. They'll be, be doing shot glasses hot. of it at the next Golden Shears, oh. I guarantee you. <laughs> I'll tell you that. That'll be on the highest shelf at the supermarket, that. How do you uh, milk and, a deer? Uh, just, I don't know. Brian's trying to show you. Brian, is that uh, that's how that's you milk a different a show, okay. Brian. Okay. Right, okay. Uh, right, uh, lastly, Aroha. Uh, the government is offering a further $26 million to keep farmers and growers in cyclone-stricken regions afloat. I don't, well, I mean, this might be generous from the government point of view. They might think so, but that's, uh, looking at some of the damage around here, um, I'm not sure that's going to pay for the lot. Yeah, I was just looking at the estimated costs from Watercare. This is for Auckland, right, after the effects of Tropical Cyclone Gabriel, and they're saying $250 million. And the farming sector, agricultural sector, rural sector gets, what, 26 million. So I think this is for just right now. So in all seriousness, we've had a bit of fun. We've talked about Dears Milk and Japanese whiskey and heading off to Scotland, which is fantastic. But this is a really serious issue. And I think we underestimate the impact that it will have. That whole fruit bowl of the Hawke's Bay provides the entire country and exports so much of our produce and prices will soar next year and probably for a couple of years before those vines and the the plantings can be reinstated. So 17.4 million has already been paid out to 3,000 applicants. So that's the people who have had the time to put their applications in, who aren't Mm. just totally overwhelmed with the physical manual labour of trying to unearth some part of their property and to try and get some kind of normality back. And they reckon that there'll probably be four or five times that, and that's just in the near future. So people who do are in need... um, up to 10k for those urgent matters, that's for pastoral and arable farmers, 
Growers can get 2k per hectare with a total of up to $40,000. And all the information is on the government website on how to get the applications in for that. Do you know anyone who's had to apply, Smithy, in your part of town? Oh, look, I, I know of a lot of people that uh, have been applying. It's um, hard to apply. Like in terms of your heart, you know, it's a real, people yeah. don't like to ask. New Zealanders are really bad at asking for help. We're so good at being able to fix everything with a piece of number eight wire. It's a very humbling, sobering kind of process to have to go through. You feel like you're in a wins office. Well, it was interesting talking to Mike King the other day and, um, you know, uh, the good people at uh, Colliers will be fully um, understanding of this, uh, Aroha, is that a lot of people... Uh, will just walk away from their farms, from their orchards, from uh, their rural blocks because they don't see any chance of coming back to them. Um, so I think that's, that's even more devastating. And the Colliers people, of course, will be involved in um, the changing over of real estate uh, from one person to another, someone mm. who sees a future in it, who has got the patience and time to perhaps to redevelop land, etc. Uh, but so many won't. Um, because they simply can't afford to, and perhaps it's been such a soul-destroying exercise, this, they don't want to. They just don't want to. And it's very hard to think that far into the future too. I was talking to one of the heads of Colliers when they came in, and we had a yarn about what it was like post-earthquakes in Christchurch and what it did Mm. to rural real, real estate. But it took a long time. But things would bounce back. But we're too, we're, it's too raw and it's too soon to, for a lot of people to think about what happens with land besides just cleaning up and digging out. So you're staying dry, mm. Smithy. You look good. Okay. Well, I've, um, yeah, I'm a little bit away from uh, where... I'm not far away from watches, actually. Some were um, untouched. Unbelievably lucky, some people, and desperately unlucky, the others. Uh, hey, thanks very much. Uh, I've enjoyed this first edition. And uh, we'll do it again next week, shall we? With the very latest in rural news, this is Ag Insights on Mornings with Ian Smith. Profit from the best advice with Collier's Rural and Agribusiness. Licence RE AA 2008.